Hi, coaches, and welcome to another episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. This is your host for today, Dave Mullins, the ITA COO. I'm speaking with Simon Earnshaw in today's podcast, the head women's tennis coach at NC State, who won nine NCAA Division II national championships while serving as the head men's and women's tennis coach at Armstrong Atlantic. In 2014, he took over the reins at NC State and has helped the program to multiple program firsts, including a run to the Final Four in 2021 and an NCAA Division I doubles title in 2022. In this podcast, Simon shares what he learned during his early days of coaching at the Nick Bollettieri Tennis Academy, some of his keys to consistent success on the court, his struggles to find the right fit at an NCAA Division I athletic department, and lots more. I think coaches at every level can learn a lot from Simon during today's conversation. Simon Earnshaw, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. That's good to be here, Dave. Thank you for the invite, and uh, hopefully I can provide something that's worthwhile. I have no doubt you will. Uh, you've been on my list here for a really long time, and there's so much uh, we're going to get into. I'm not sure I'll get to all my questions, but I'll do my best. So I'm going to start, bring you back back in the day to your days at GCSU. You uh, decided to major in chemistry. I don't see that on a lot of coaches' profiles. So what was the career plan when you were majoring in chemistry? So, I mean, I grew up in in, in the UK. and the UK, you, you take 10, at least it was 10 when I did them, GCSEs. And um, after your GCSEs that you finish when you're 16, you have to go, or at least then you had to go to three subjects. So I was down to maths, physics, and chemistry. Wow, you were smart. <laughs> it, well, no. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, it just was, I, who knows? I was definitely disappointed my parents with my direction, ultimately, <laughs> not being on the academic side. But So I was down to three coming into uh, Georgia College. And uh, physics just got wild at a certain point to where I, I actually thought I would have done physics going into my A-levels, but that lasted about a year. So it was maths or chemistry. And um, I'd taken some math and chemistry classes. Computer science might have been an option, but it was so early then mm. that it was, um, I don't know, it was like you were having to make your own computers. <laughs> Yeah, and I'd fiddle around with programming and that'd just drive you nuts. So, you know, chem I guess we we had uh, more, um, not inspiring, but engaging professors in chemistry at Georgia College. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, maybe the path of least resistance for me at that point, even though that's a bit of an oxymoron. Okay, so you had no no grand plan then. It was just something you had an interest in and and so can you tell us a little bit then, has your background in science or interested in science helped you in your college coaching career in any way? Well, I mean, I think it helped me um, be in college in the first place, uh, which, which got me into college tennis. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you look these days and you look at the analytics side, I mean, uh, you're in science, there's a there's a lot of data that's out there. I think tennis has been really resistant to a lot of the changes that you you see uh, across the board. I mean, obviously they talked about it and the way they ran business in uh, professional franchises, but also in player development. The youth systems in soccer in Europe are incredibly advanced in in this regard. And tennis, we 
we put a lot of uh, information out there. I don't think we we do a particularly good job of uh, using it. Um, but I, you know, I'm pretty systematic, pretty objective. I'm I'm not the most subjective person on the planet. Uh, people, probably my players would argue about that. But um, you know, I think that that's helped me just kind of be able to uh, navigate the business side of things and potentially, you know, attacking uh, player development in. I wouldn't say really a scientific way completely, but I think mean, anytime you're you you were uh, doing an experiment or the way that we go about things uh, in chemistry, uh, you figure out what the problem is and then you try and uh, collect some data and then see if the data uh, proves or finds a solution to your problem. And if it doesn't, you figure out another way to run the experiment. And in some ways, I think that's helped me figure out a lot of different ways that you can you can find solutions mm. to players being able to move along and, and not to put you on the spot but is there a, a recent example of that that you might be able to provide a, a problem you identified how you went about experimenting the, you know what information you were maybe tracking to to then solve that problem whether it's on the fitness side or the player development side well, we're using we're using data in quite a few areas. I, I, we we work with Paul Drake, and um, when I came to uh, NC State, we had our players do a lot of running, and that was the whole thing at Armstrong. And I'm I'm sure you grew up and tennis players yep. ran a lot. <laughs> yeah, we ran up hills, and it's like okay, going on a five mile run and just do it as fast as you can. Uh, you're going to get in good shape, but it's it's not very sport specific. You only cover about two kilometers mm -hmm. during a tennis match and the movement is a little bit different, but, you know, I think one challenge we have as college coaches is, is we're not a specific coach where we work with one player only. We're trying to offer service to eight to, you know, potentially up to 12 players and how can we make it custom for them in in a way that it's not generic and i think when you're when you're able to use data and you're able to use people from outside entities you can really get into the weeds there and uh, everybody's different and what works for one person doesn't work optimally for the next person you know i think when we were running you could see on the track that there were some that were good and some that weren't good but the the issue was is who's actually getting the better workout mm. And that's hard to quantify because maybe the person at the front is just really good at running. Yeah. Whereas the person at the back's really working hard. And I think if you if you run certain systems, you can you can see that uh, you know, we may be running a practice. You may have somebody who's redlining the whole practice, whereas other people are just ticking along in a in a in a low uh, sort of burn. Yeah. So, you know, that was something for us. I think we felt that our teams were in good shape, but at this level, everybody's in good shape. Mm -hmm. So how can we be in better? And also, what does that mean? Like mm -hmm. people say, are you, are, you know, are you, are you fit? Are you strong? Yeah, I'm strong, but how fit and how strong? So we've attacked that problem with him. And I think we've, we've really changed and developed how we run that side of things. And, um, you know, NC State's, uh, STEM school. So we've got a lot of resources here. We have a, a great advanced analytics institute. 
they've been able to help us with our uh, match data. Mm. And we've presented them with uh, some questions. And I think what, one thing that's good is, is that it audits what Dave and I are doing, because clearly if if we're if we're saying that we're improving somebody's serve but it's not shown in the data then we're not yeah and we've got to look internally uh to manage how we're going about attacking problems as well as 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 just kind of being well that person's not listening or not getting it maybe they are listening maybe they're doing the things we tell them to do but it's actually not working even though potentially aesthetically it mm. looks better and I think that's the hard thing as coaches, where we're working with players one-on-one, -on -one, we're emotionally kind of connected to the process mm -hmm. to the point where sometimes what's actually occurring and the output that's happening isn't what we kind of think it is in that moment. So I would say it's, it's helped me be objective in that regard uh, rather than how would I say wearing wearing rose colored glasses or you know the players would probably tell you the opposite of that at times <laughs> being a Brit we're a little little jaded growing up on that island you would know that you're on that other one yeah where we tend to be a little pessimistic uh but yeah, that's, yeah. we need we need both in this planet yeah, um, and there could be times when I think something's not going well and actually it shows it the opposite way i i just can't get out of my being a human being mode mm -hmm. yeah no mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense um so yeah trying to stay on the the player development topic you spent some time at nick Balateri tennis academy in the 90s when it was really in its heyday were there any experience you had during that time that you feel like have influenced how you approach player development today I actually think that helped me tremendously, Dave. Um, I was fortunate that our coach at Georgia College, Duard Welchel, had worked for um, the academy as well. And um, in the summer, they would be looking for people. And mm -hmm. with probably fairly derisory pay, but <laughs> back then it was like, okay, it's cool, right? I mean, it's something to do. Um, the academy was extremely successful. I remember there was a um, there was a, a picture at one point with a group of fifty on there that was from prior to that time, and you can obviously pick out the couriers and the agassiz yeah. of the world, but there are other people on there, and you might not know who they are, but let's say a Sandra Ciccini, an Italian girl, who was top twenty in the world as well, and you had no idea that all these people were out there back back when it 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 was really uh running at its height and tennis was first and foremost rather than you know what becomes these days the business side of everything yeah so i think the the great thing for me was is that i i did six years and it was in a time when i was not really sure what i wanted to do in life uh but it showed that i i was capable of doing a lot of things and making a difference uh even you know 21 22 years old uh that i didn't know i could do i know when i i did the usual coaching exams in the uk you mm -hmm. part one you part two they probably have other names now i think they have five of them now yeah yeah there's many right they, they love that and all the in-service and you can go and get your credits and um 
I remember being as nervous doing one of those where they would say, okay, you've got to direct a group for 30 minutes in front of everybody and they're, they're busy marking you down. And as I was doing my driving test when I was uh, 17 years old and really not being very good at it. And my club coach, I would help out. And you know, I remember one time he didn't show up or he couldn't make it. And I had to take probably eight 40 year old ladies and it being an absolute disaster and and really not knowing i mean i think i knew the nuts and bolts of how to organize the session but i didn't like my communication skills and how to deal with different age groups and and their needs and their wants and what works for them i was really pretty ignorant to that sort of thing and uh, i think that was the big thing i got such a cross-section um, with Boletaris, where I was able and unfortunate to basically wear the hat in all positions, whether it was being a ball feeder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they used to train us in feeding for two or three days, oh. which was interesting. I mean, I, I know it sounds stupid. We had these two guys there that would work back then for Club Med, and they had a whole exhibition that they would do that was fed. Hmm. One of them, the, the level of feeding was just off the charts and the way that he could he could move the ball in, in, in two directions at once and the speed. So something as basic as that through being able to work with the better kids or to have a group of 40 people or one summer, um, all I did was a video analysis all day, every day. So if you see 200 forends a day and then you're having to sit there with a VHS, the old VHS, you know, we used to get those mini VHS compact. Yeah. yeah. Stick it in the bigger one yeah, yeah. and then put it in there. And then in order to slow motion, you just press the pause <laughs> a right. bunch of times. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you see, you see that many forends or serves, you start to f- see trends. Mm. And obviously from there, from talking to some of the people that were working, they're offering ways and progressions that you can solve those issues. And uh, I think it was tremendously helpful in a way that you don't always get if you just transition straight from playing into coaching that I got a vast amount of information very, very quickly. And I was held to a, a level of expectation or a standard that really meant that I was challenged. And um, I had to, I had to, I mean, it would get to the point where Jimmy Boletari, Nick's son, I was working just kind of uh, beneath him. And if he couldn't do a presentation for the kids that we would do in the afternoon, sometimes for an hour, I'd have to stand up there in front of them at five minutes notice and talk. Obviously butchered it a few times. I'm, you know, you like the stand-up comedian who just can't get a rise. But I mean, just things like that, and it helps with your confidence that if you if you aren't right every time, that you just try and be better next time, mm-hmm. and make a better decision. I think as long as you have the right intent or you're not deliberately being misleading, uh, that your competency gets better. And you know, I think you you almost can develop a persona because I'm not. Strangely enough, and David will argue with this, I'm not a super outgoing person. Mm-hmm. But so standing in front of people was my worst nightmare, right. particularly back then having eight housewives, let's call them, <laughs> mm-hmm. and giving me a hard time. That was rough. 
And, um, you know, I think you, you just learn and then the, the better you get at it, 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 you're, you're able to go with the flow and, and do it. And I think I, I did the best with teenagers who were playing at a, a reasonable level. I was more motivated by that. And so I, I ended up kind of being in, in that area and, that's where, well, college tennis, from a standpoint of not being from the U.S. Mm-hmm. and um, moving in a in a direction that that was the most interesting to me, became kind of the the route into college coaching. Okay, well, let's get into that a little bit then. So, you in in 1998, you were hired as the assistant men's and women's coach at Armstrong Atlantic. Then a year later, you're named the head coach. And you can talk a little bit about that. But then you literally spend the next 16 years, I believe at 16, dominating Division II tennis. You win six championships on the women's side, three on the men's side. You post just ridiculous winning percentage numbers. You're setting <laughs> streaks all over the place. Uh, what are some of the things you, you believe you did well in those early years to kind of set you apart from your competition in Division II? Well, I think one thing that, the academy was great about was and people probably said it was um almost forced labor back in those days yep. but when when you're expected to be down there at the courts at 7 30 you get maybe 30 minutes for lunch you work until 5 30 and then you have dinner for 30 minutes and then you're back at the courts from six till eight and mm-hmm. you do that six days a week <laughs> um i think definitely i wasn't afraid to work and um i might you know i i think i knew the nuts and bolts of coaching tennis i don't i wouldn't say at all i was adept in the college coaching role and yeah. the the off-court things that you do which recruiting is still is probably more than 50 percent of the job mm-hmm. but you know i think i wasn't wasn't afraid to work so if i had to stand out there from eight in the morning until eight in the evening and as do the individuals back to back to back. And then rather than running both practices at the same time, we ran them as two teams at Armstrong so that one team wouldn't get less attention than the other. Um, You know, I think, you know, for lack of a better word, that that helped me. I I think you're very generous in your uh, stats there, but I wasn't the best at the beginning. That's for sure. Uh, I think we... We flattered to deceive a little bit. Um, I inherited a women's program that had done reasonably well. I mean, they'd won a couple of national titles. And my year there as the assistant coach, we did lose in the final. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it was um, a situation where there was a big change in personnel as well. I mean, we had a lot of seniors on that team. We, we lost a, a girl who the previous coach had uh, been kind of keeping there for Pepperdine and she transferred uh, out of there. So it was, it was a little bit of a fresh slate, which, you know, looking back at it now, I think was probably ideal. It enabled me to transition uh, pretty quickly to what I wanted to do. But um, yeah, I mean, it took, it took until year five with the women for us to win. Mm-hmm. I think we were pretty good by year three, four. Uh, the men took longer. I just wasn't very adept. I found at coaching 
the men for one reason or another than the women. And I think a big part of the problem was I wasn't that different in age to the players, mm. which was, you know, a little bit challenging as far as getting the message over. So I think on the men's side, I just needed to get older. And, yeah. you know, these days I wish I would stop getting older that quickly. Back then I was hoping it would move along a little faster. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I just wasn't, scared to make errors and i was i was pretty confident i could make a difference and as stupid as it sounds if if i could uh, improve players we probably and we could create momentum in a positive direction probably results were going to come yeah and uh, they did i i had a couple of really lucky recruits in the early going as well yeah um, well, yeah it's amazing luck Oh, big, t big look, right call at the right time. If I'd have waited, you know, another 30 minutes or hmm. it would have, would have not happened. Um, hmm. You know, my, my coach at Georgia college helped out on one of them. Um, I think that was tremendously fortunate to just have some people that were willing to, to help me and maybe mentor me in a way that uh, brought me along as well. And, you know, I don't think it's, it's, Obviously, we we get very proud and in our roles where we're unwilling to ask for help. But uh, I mean, I needed help at that point. I was pretty confident on court, but I'd learned at Bolotaris that as confident as I was, I didn't know nowhere near as much as what I thought I did at that age. Yeah. And sometimes I needed to kind of get myself into trouble and get beat down a bit. Mm -hmm. you know, I got I got I remember in my first year at Bolotaris, I got. I'd, I'd progressed quite quickly, and then I, I probably got a little ahead of myself, and I got kicked all the way down to the bottom courts again. Okay, <laughs> I didn't feel too good about it, but yeah, I mean, you got to be, you got to be willing to ask, right? Yeah, and, and then so, listen and try. Yeah, and, and Simon, so what you, you said, so you had that experience of Nick Bolitari Academy. You come over to coaching side. You referenced, you know, the the off court, the the recruiting side of it, and it being a huge part of the job. So, how did you figure out that part of the job? Like you said, you got a bit lucky early on. You asked for help, but uh, you know, how else did you start figuring out that space? Because again, we have a lot of young coaches that come in to this profession and believe they're just going to be on the court coaching teams and developing culture and things like that, and don't realize just how important the recruiting side of it is. So how did you figure it out and, and how did you develop your skills in that area of the job? So I actually think it it potentially right now, Dave, is a little bit more difficult, even though we have all the information yeah. and we can we can communicate much more freely with recruits. Back then, I mean, probably show my age right now, but the internet wasn't as developed. No, uh, no, and you, we did it. Definitely didn't have this thing. No. Uh, no, I had maybe a flip phone or a or a little Nokia, kind of whatever that I could the play brick. snake. Snake, yeah, the brick. Yeah, I could play snake on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I basically started cold calling people. If I could go to a federation's website, and if I could call somebody and. I mean, obviously, you don't like telemarketing, and but if I if I at least through my time at Bolotaris, I could reference some people that were connected, and mm -hmm. I could get somebody into com into a conversation. Maybe maybe that would lead to five more numbers that I could call, 
regionally in in a different place and obviously it's it's low yield type networking but uh it doesn't take but one person yeah and there were quite a few recruiting companies that were starting up around that time and okay you might not um again receive a recruit or what you want at that point in time but if you're willing to make a lot of phone calls and and have conversations that aren't just transactional you know i definitely probably talk too much but maybe um maybe that wasn't a bad thing Hmm. Uh, ultimately um you know you just got to develop some relationships and maybe maybe eventually what goes around comes around or you you know and you speak to a lot of recruits and their families and you may you may not ultimately have them come to play for you but if if you approach it in a in an honest way and a genuine way and you don't get too high with it and you don't like push them away when they turn you down somehow what goes around comes around and um you know i think maybe it took three four five years and uh, we got to the point there at armstrong where it, it it felt like players and i mean we did have a bit of a niche right i mean if sometimes i mean and we did have a lot of players that were eligible in division one but we kind of became the go-to if there was something that was a little bit off as well and people you know we got to the point where where it, it started going where we had people coming to us as well and i think yeah i mean you just got to be willing to to talk and not always act like you're trying to get off the phone i would say mm. yeah and, I'm still not great at texting. I don't think. I I think I'd rather ever do a phone call, but people these days don't have time. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, as the world is changing, and but there's probably reluctance again from this next generation of coaches that are coming through. You know, I even see with <laughs> with my kids, my 17 year old. Um, yeah, everything's text based, and and there's not a lot of time on the call. I mean, even as kids, you and I, right, we're calling our friends and we've got to say, Hey, you know, Mrs. Earnshaw, can I speak to Simon and, you know, uh, have those conversations with adults. And, and it's something that I fear this next generation, uh, maybe it's a, a misplaced fear, but they're not getting those repetitions of, of those interactions with people of all different ages and how to speak to them on the phone, etc. And, and it's, um, maybe that is the future of recruiting. I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing that, especially since going through COVID and doing all this virtually versus now when I do get in person with people, I see how much more valuable it is. So maybe it'll swing around. I don't know. But has your approach to recruiting then changed through the years or you're still picking up the phone and calling people? I think if we, if if I can do a 30 minute call with somebody, I mean, I'm, I have to say, I don't do Zoom a ton mm-hmm. i actually found trying to get onto this uh right struggling, now that struggling had... with the mute button there simon yeah no 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 I, I what i what i find is is i haven't been on it for that long it always needs to update first <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, that shows you right that i haven't i haven't logged in enough mm-hmm. uh i think look i think the the good thing with with phone calls and particularly we we can we can be doing other things while we're doing them and you know you can take a call with you it's hard to take a zoom 
you know, we're both sitting in our office right now mm-hmm. uh, with me. So whether I'm in the car or I'm just walking around, there's 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 a portability with it that I think uh, helps. And I don't know about you, but I have a hard time walking and texting at the same time. Yeah, I don't advise it. No, I mean, obviously driving, you're not going to be doing that. But you're walking along and all of a sudden you find you stood still and somebody's walked into you or uh, you walk into them, right? Or you fall off the curb. Um, but you can you could text for an hour or two with somebody and within 10 minutes yeah. have the same result in, in a quick call. Right. And um and and if something comes up in that call as you're discussing it, you could even be maybe even further down the road. Mm. So um yeah, I don't know whether people are scared. I used to be scared of the phone because mm. back in the day you never knew who was calling you. So yeah. My parents <laughs> my parents used to have a standard phrase that if I answered the phone, I had to say, like, you know, this is the Earnshaw residence, six eight three eight double one. You know and what the number was, and how can I help you and be of assistance? <laughs> now you know who it is for the right. most part, so you can decide whether you answer or not. I was always told you had to answer. Yeah, and some yeah. people probably say I'm I'm full of it now for that because I don't always answer. But yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I want to continue your your college journey here. I mean, for for many years. It definitely appeared to me and, and other people in the industry, you were not receiving the type of recognition you deserved for all your success at Armstrong. I know you were applying for a number of Division I uh, head coaching jobs, but seemed to get keep getting turned away. Um, why do you believe that was the case, Simon? Well, I mean, I, and I think I still am. I'm an outsider, right? I uh, First of all, I didn't grow up in this country, so I wasn't playing junior tennis um with a lot of the people that are involved in in our industry and 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 in some ways rightfully so right i mean i'm i'm not um even though i've lived more of my life i wasn't at that point in time american and i think that the americans should should get um some benefit (laughs) from people like me um so yeah I, i wasn't maybe connected as as much as uh, other people for sure um and obviously you know i wasn't i wasn't in division one uh i mean we all there's many many schools outside of division one um but when it comes down to the people who are making the highest hmm. there's a, a even though there are as many coaches potentially in division two or division three as there are in division one the number of administrators in Division One versus the number of administrators in Division Two yeah. and Three is is extremely uh, slanted in one direction. And so, how how was I going to meet or be able to navigate people in in that area when I just had no way in? And and obviously, most of them didn't play tennis. They're you know they're involved in other sports and um, so yeah I mean it just wasn't obvious uh, for the most part who I was what I was and what I would mean in in something that was was relatively misunderstood and um, you know if people couldn't see it with their own eyes they they weren't going to believe it and and ultimately I 
I don't think that the people making the hire wanted to hire somebody from a school that they didn't know where it was or what it was. I mean, we knew it in the industry, but mm -hmm. they wouldn't know. It just doesn't look very splashy mm. for the most part. And so, yeah, I mean, I the winning the winning got me uh, in the running, yep. but I I don't think I was ever the the person who was uh so i think a good way of looking at it would be that i i would get a lot of interviews but i think coming into the interviews i was i was never the person that that the administrator was thinking they were going to uh offer the job to mm. and i think there was a little bit of luck as well dave i i never was involved in in one where the the person that was made the first offer turned it down mm -hmm. i think a lot of a lot of coaches would agree that they they got the job after somebody else decided not to take right. it yeah um and i i did turn a few down as well mm -hmm. which you know i was told vehemently like with by some other people that i shouldn't be doing because i didn't want to get um that hat or uh, be seen as the person who was just being involved for their own benefit uh so it was difficult i mean i i had some extremely frustrating summers where it just felt like you're in this constant disruption of waiting on um uh, men's or women's tennis hires to be made and those processes aren't like the football hires where it you know we'll see that right the week after thanksgiving they're gonna go yep. on in hours Right. And they'll all get laid off and then they'll all be hired again in the same right. week. So it was it was pretty unsettling. I mean, I, I got to the point. I think I probably was rubbish at the interviews. And <laughs> in a few of them, I, I, I'm pretty sure I came across as being pretty arrogant. Uh, some of well, that. You're English. Yes. We know everything. That's part of everything. the deal. Yeah, we know everything there is to know about everything. Right. And we, <laughs> we do like to tell people that. <laughs> um so trying to kind of tone down the britishness mm -hmm. and make sure that uh, i didn't lose the interview i think was was part of it and the more of those you do like earlier on when i was working at the academy uh you you get better at that and i think i did but i just wasn't i just wasn't the person of choice i mean that, that's just how it was and you said the word there deserved you got to get over that. I mean, just because you think you deserve something doesn't mean you're going to get it. And I mean, being a bit butthurt by that's not going to help anyone either. And I mean, I think ultimately, whether or not you deserve it doesn't mean you're going to get it. So mm. yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd actually kind of given up, to be honest with you, once we got yeah. to about 2013, funnily enough. So yeah. it's just like a normal summer. I have four kids and it was getting in the way of, of, um, enjoying them in the summer and you know one of the benefits in division two was it wasn't as relentless as it as it is now mm -hmm. and and simon what advice then would you have for again younger coaches or more experienced coaches that are coaching in division two three junior college or naia that have a desire to maybe one day coach at division one is there i mean i know everyone's story is different and different pathway but how would you advise a coach if they called you today to um, get your input as to how they might proceed? Well, I mean, we all recruit. 
you're going to have to recruit yourself. Mm-hmm. And the recruiting of yourself involves talking to people. And you may be speaking to people who are not actually trying to hire you. And you can't expect to have some fancy references or have a network that's going to make a call on your behalf if you've not put in time to develop a friendship and there's not been a lot of giving before there's a take. Mm -hmm. So whether you're able to get out there with your team and prove yourself in fall events, which part of the knack is getting into those events, right? Or you you go above and beyond to be at the convention Mm -hmm. or to be at events where other coaches are and you're able to engage them in a way where if you show interest in them, maybe eventually they'll be interested in you and kind of telling your story. And, uh, you know what, I mean, how much can it hurt And, and equally pick the phone up and try and talk to people. Yeah. I know we're all busy, but, everybody can make a bit of time for somebody mm-hmm. um you know and then beyond that i had to figure out a way to start running across some administrators and as as it, it, funnily enough i just said you know i'm going to start being on committees mm. even whether it's institutionally or i was the i ran the rankings for the ita in division two in the mid 2000s for a long time and you know whether you could even be on the nca committee or involved with you guys where you're going to meet administrators yeah and in those type of settings there may be opportunities where you can talk to them a little bit less informally and yeah it's no guarantee and nothing's going to happen overnight but ultimately i i met enough people and was able to sustain some relationships for you know, in many, in many ways, it, it, it could have been a little bit blind or a little bit overly hopeful. But funnily enough, at, at, uh, in 2014, what went around came around for me. And I was the person of choice at NC State. Mm-hmm. And I knew it going into the interview, which the funny thing was, I, I don't think I actually had to win that interview. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> was, yeah, really was kind of unusual. Right. Yeah, you let the universe take care of it finally. So, um, so yeah. yeah, with that opportunity in 2014, was I'm interested because uh, I never coached two teams. I only ever coached one team. Was was that? Did that feel like a very easy transition? Just going to coach one team after doing uh, two for 16 years, or is there something that I'm missing here? And there was different different challenges or difficulties with just dealing with one. I mean, you have less you have less uh, student athletes. I mean, that's the the first part, right? Um, potentially less recruiting. Mm-hmm. Which might, might be a good thing. Um, you know, it's just multiplied by two. Um, there were actually so you you come to a school, you know, on any I think a lot of schools these days there were more people involved with the program though. So I think if you add up those people that you see on a daily basis or are there as uh, resources in some ways i think they compensated for the for there being less student athletes mm-hmm. uh, but at the same point in time i mean all all the student athletes i inherited here were brand new to me yeah 
so that that piece of it um it it you know if you imagine if you get a whole i mean you know it you you made a transition at some point you get a whole new team yeah. of people rather than some players you've known for two or three years and and that relationship is strong and and you recruited them so yeah i mean with certain parts obviously were reduced but in other areas there was there was really a lot more going on that i didn't have going on and at armstrong there were things that i could just prod and every now and again and it just got the ball rolling where we we had a lot of inertia here mm. to get this running so um and so i i would say yeah i mean i i think it actually felt a, a little bit more weighty here like there was yeah you i went from two teams to one but there was almost much more to the job in the state that it was in so it was a i yeah definitely a little bit overwhelming i remember being on campus the first two to three months and wondering if i could actually manage this to be mm. honest with you yeah it's, there's there's, there's mm. a lot more pieces to the job i would say here yeah then it was really simple at armstrong i mean it was just tennis mm. yeah. yeah that's what we boiled it down to and you were kind of left alone and you just manage it and if you win fair enough if you don't okay <laughs> whatever yeah yeah, yeah. So, so the expectations you, you feel are a little little different. And and yeah, I definitely want to dig into that a little bit more because your first year at NC State, you went one and thirteen in ACC play. And then last year you went ten and three, made the Elite Eight, uh, won an NCAA doubles championships. Um, so you know, obviously have have turned the program around and then some. Um, so what again were some of those key steps or decisions you made early in your tenure? that have set you up to the, for the type of success that you're having now? Yeah. I mean, that it was, it was tricky at, at the beginning. Um, the team had had a similar record the year before as well. Um, I don't think the girls were too happy about the change either, mm. which put me in a little bit of a, a pariah role, I would say at times. Um, you know, I think you've got to vent their frustrations on someone, and I, I was an easy target um, with the players I'd inherited. I was different. I mean, I, I don't know if different is good or bad for them. So that that first year was was tough. I mean, I I couldn't make that much of a difference in that first year. I could definitely change our systems and the way we went about things and what the focus was um but i mean it takes a while to turn a fairly big entity that's been a certain way for a long time and it was a, a slow and gradual turning um we could obviously get those things in motion and uh the, the i think the biggest thing was is from a recruiting standpoint was trying to figure that piece out mm -hmm. i i came i came in and um i was pretty direct that i was going to recruit international players because that's what I'd done. And the the funny part about it is, is, is that didn't end up being the case at all. I was actually having a hard time with internationals identifying with the program here and where we were in the rankings and the level of interest, even from players that I could get to Armstrong just died. Mm. Um, 
So, um, yeah, I mean, trying to figure out what you have at your disposal, what resonates um, with people that at least gets you into a conversation. And then how do we get people to campus? And I mean, we had to go back from what was very different to at Armstrong, I would just recruit one player to get one player. All of a sudden, we got to go bulk again. Mm-hmm. And we needed to identify where the majority of our focus needed to be. And, you know, it went into an area of recruiting that I'd just not been involved in, which was domestically. Um, I think the way the recruiting calendar was back then helped um, that you weren't able to speak to recruits till uh, July 1. And then you couldn't do the visits, could you, till September 1? And then two months later, they were signing if they could within that one week window. Then you had more time, and so I was like, "All right, I better, I better just learn this and figure it out much more quickly." Um, we needed, we needed to look at our current roster and see where we were going to be uh, long term, and how that was going to look for the returning players. Um, so you know, quite quickly, um, we were able to have the majority of the team as being players that that we had brought in and then really just got to roll the sleeves up and get to work mm. and i think we were really lucky in in the first two recruiting classes um that those five by the time they were seniors were the ones that so you have it on here we were 10 and three last year we actually so the that that first class we were 10 and three well, i think we we're 11 and three actually because pitt still had women's tennis that year mm-hmm. uh, we were 11 and three in their senior year Mm. and uh, it took it did take that long because obviously we we weren't seen as being at the front of the line for recruits at all we were having to really kind of work between the lines mm-hmm. um, for the most part but um, I think we got some really good kids and good families involved I think they were excited to be here which it helps right yeah uh, and uh, then it was just Let's get to work, and uh, you know, really thankful that we were able, we were able to uh, have some opportunities that uh, you know maybe from a timing standpoint might not have been the case if it had been at any other year. There was there was some really good recruiting classes mm-hmm. there in 2015, 2016 was just so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, the the ironic thing is one of our best recruits Anna Rogers um it went back to Volteris and um Ryan Gimley had been with me at Volteris it actually reached out to me two or three times and I'd ignored him hmm. after I got here about Anna and uh, we had we had it not work out with another recruit and all of a sudden there was Anna wow yeah it was the easiest wow. recruit we ever had and I and I didn't want her initially, and yeah, I mean, she went on to be, uh, I don't know, three, four, five time All American. Yeah, she did all right. She did yeah. all right. Yeah. So yeah, Simon, with with that, then with the recruiting, I mean, you talked about identifying good kids, good families that were excited to play. Was was there anything within their game style? you know, movement. I mean, what, what were some of the other things that you were looking for that caught your eye to tell you uh, this might be a slightly underdeveloped player? Like this player 
liking Anna Rogers, like I said, initially it didn't work out. So, so that, that's on you, but um, you know, what were some of those ticks that, that tipped you off that, that this player still has, has a ways to go here and, and in the next couple of years, they're going to be a player. I think when I was first at Armstrong, trying to evaluate um, recruits without being able to see them mm. um, was really looking at results and trying to, even back then, trying to find results online was, was a yep. big part of the battle or call people to figure out what was going on. But just really taking a, a look at the results in a very for a way and trying to figure out direction with players, you know, are they trending upward? Are they flat or are they going down? Trying to talk to them and figure out, okay, look, the one thing I did learn is these kids were amazing at talking to you on the phone. Mm-hmm. Particularly them, I was like, man, you guys have all been coached tremendously and your poker face or not giving me the real details is unreal. <laughs> but Armstrong, everybody used to just spill the beans straight away. And I, I really had a good idea on, or who did what, but um, I, look, I, I think at the end of the day, yeah, there were, look, some of them had had a lot of success in doubles and hadn't put it together in singles. Mm-hmm. So we looked at that as a positive. In Division Two, the doubles were three points. We 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 had a system that we were running in doubles, and doubles was really important to us. So if we had somebody that at least had a level of familiarity or we wouldn't get the line where, hey, Simon, uh, yeah, don't rely on me in doubles, uh, but I, you know, I don't like doubles. Um, you know, I think that that felt familiar, and it felt like it would be something we could work with. And then, in reality, it was results. And if I think if people uh, were willing and were up for the fight uh, or the struggle that it was there initially, it just it just makes things easier right and uh, i think you could sense that when we got that first class on campus everything just became easier Mm. the possibilities opened up for what could happen uh you weren't really dealing with as much resistance Mm. and um yeah i mean we were able to start moving forward and uh quite figuratively that was the mo let's get to the net yeah and let's enjoy being in that phase of play, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable at first. Hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, we 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 started to do well, and and we, so we did well the first. Didn't do that poorly the first year in doubles either. I think we were able to enjoy that that piece of it, and then we we just had to improve the skills in other areas and have them. Because uh, I think it, I think we can we know that doubles is closer. Mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, Dave Mullins could go out there uh, in doubles and uh, you can compete with the top players in the game. It, it, it's it's a little more, mm-hmm. it's it's not as based on your overall, yeah. <laughs> how would I say, talent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what it was. And, um, you know, with that, that was kind of, our angle on things and uh yeah it was going to take time with the other stuff but at least we had players that were engaged they 
they had the opportunity to start straight away here. Right? They just walked in and were able to start for an ACC school. And I yep. mean, you can't get better if you're not playing. Let's be honest. What's the point? If we're practicing like crazy and then you're not playing, how are you going to get better? And then what's the point of everything? Mm-hmm. So we, we were able to offer that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it instantly we were in the tournament in year two. Uh, we were kind of in that area there until the the players that we had, which we had a very young team right then, which was kind of sheltered by a couple of transfers. But once they became upperclassmen and, you know, we got Alana then in 2016, who again was uh, far more successful in doubles and singles, even though she was a high-level singles player. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had that same sort of level of athleticism and size that we've had. I, the joke was, if you're taller than me, then I'll maybe offer you a scholarship. But the counterpoint to that is, well, that doesn't take much as well, right? So I don't yeah. want to say anything. Yeah, I know. It's just, yeah, always been a problem, I would <laughs> okay. say. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that group it really got us to where we are now. And mm. once you get to a certain level and you can, there's, there's, there's proof in, in your process, yeah. Um, you you obviously can engage, you know, a, a greater audience potentially than at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So Simon, you, you referenced just kind of some of your days at Nick Bolletieri working those really long hours. We're recording this podcast on November 18th. I know you'll hit the recruiting road now a little bit out in Florida, but, um, you know, how might you be spending your time before the team comes back? Um, I, I imagine while, some coaches might be kicking their feet up and and trying to get some rest before the crazy schedule ahead. I get the sense yourself and 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 Dave will be uh, still working pretty hard. Where where would you put some of your attention now in December, early January, to make sure your team and your program is where it needs to be in the new year? Well, I think the big the biggest thing with the girls is is in this period of time, which is a little bit different to the rest of the year where we can't practice or at least not allowed to work with them the week before finals mm-hmm. we have Thanksgiving week, which is a good way to spend as many of those extra 14 days that you can give them off as possible. Mm-hmm. And they need to do well in these exams. I mean, I think if they can get ahead academically on the year, that's going to give them some comfort and confidence moving into the spring where it gets even more hectic. So, okay. How are we going to, how are we going to go about, these next six to eight weeks, do we need to be rehabbing and trying to get our body uh, in in a good place? For some of them, like what are the opportunities for us even to play Thanksgiving week or uh, in the Christmas vacations? There aren't that many pro events, especially not in December. But, you know, there's, there's other things going on that a little bit, I would say, not mainstream and just making sure they're organized. And I think keeping them working towards something that's not so far out ahead of time Mm. that it's just going to get pushed off and pushed off and pushed off. Uh, Once we're done with finals, we don't mind working. One thing, you know, when the, the, if the players want to be here and especially once they're not living on campus, they're renting and they're not going to go home for the whole break because they want to hang out with their friends and do the things that they like to do. And they're a bit more independent. The players are here. And and I think one thing that's great about our kids is they do want to work and they like playing tennis. So if, you know, you don't have the limitations on hours, 
at that point. So, like I said, if we have to stand out there all day, we'll we'll do it. And obviously, you want to do it within reason because you don't want to burn them out. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll do it in a in a very structured way. And I think sometimes we can accomplish more in these time periods and 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 really get ahead or make a difference. Most of them come into college where tennis has been 50 or 52 weeks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it becomes 30 or 52 weeks and they don't really know what to do. And they wonder why they're not making the gains that they were previously. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we need to, we need to, as coaches, be up for that. And I think if you're a tennis coach and you're not, then that's that's not how our industry is built. Yeah, certainly not how these kids got to this point. So we we need to provide that conduit, and we need to be ready to work for them, mm-hmm. and, uh, and not just be going through the motions. Or I mean, heck, we're getting paid during that period of time. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Nothing. Now, if I need to travel or I need to go and do something, I mean, we've done quite a lot of home visits or different things also in that sort of early to mid-December through the holidays part as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have an opportunity to do things that you can't do at another time of year, and hopefully recruiting (laughs) for the season is done. So you're not, uh, you don't have that imminent stress that you're, you know, where your team's not set yet. I think I think that part, even though the last year or so it's been a bit of a scramble for us as well, um, is not as pressing. So it allows you to have a bit more clarity and freedom where, funnily enough, even though the season's right around the corner, I don't think there's as much urgency for things you can't control. So mm. let's do some of the things we can control. Okay, excellent. Just last question. You you've enjoyed lots of wins and trophies with your your longtime assistant David Secker at both Armstrong and now at NC State. Can you tell us why that partnership has worked so well for both of you through the years? Uh, so the joking side of it is, is I coached Dave, so I know uh, some of the things that he's done mm-hmm. uh, in his life. So he can't get away with that or get away from that. And uh, if he doesn't do what I tell him to do. Um, then he'd be out of a job. So, uh, <laughs> but no, I think the the thing with Dave and I is we're quite different. He's very he's pretty laid back, whereas I'm more the energetic one. Uh, we we do bang heads quite often, or bounce things off one another, or whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, but I think ultimately through that process, um, I can keep his uh you know, keep his feet on the ground and uh, he can make sure I'm not not getting too kind of uh, subjective if we go back to that about mm-hmm. things. So we stay real. I've been around him for a long time. We did have a, a sort of period apart where he went away and he did his own kind of version of Bolotaris where he worked at Advantage yep. Academy in California. I think that helped him tremendously as well. He was able to gain a really tremendous education and real-time experience on the job. And I think Dave felt like he was a bit Hollywood as well. So he got some time in <laughs> in, in LA and, you know, he maybe just needed to get that out of his system as well and realize that maybe he wasn't going to be the next Iron Man or something. Along <laughs> those lines. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and I, and I did try to hire him when I first got hired at NC State, but the timing wasn't there. And funnily enough, he was the first call when Gina uh, left to go to Virginia and uh, instantly was, actually, it's funny you're calling right now. I think I'm in a place where I'm ready to get back in again. Okay. And um, look, I think the big the biggest thing with Dave is and we're not as young as we were at one point, but uh, he's, he's an absolute workhorse. Yeah. And um, he's got a lot of good information. He has a very diff, he has a somewhat different uh, coaching philosophy to me as well. So, you know, one of the, one of the things I learned earlier at Boletari's was, is there's no one philosophy that's the whole truth yeah. and the, and where the book stops, it's just a mishmash of stealing things that hopefully can work and piecing them together. And because we're both quite different in that regard, I think we're we're able to to find ways to make things work with players. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, we're both British. We don't support the same teams. Uh, we don't agree about a lot of things, but um, I think we have a similar sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Potentially have some of the same interests, and it that that side of things is uh, we is pretty easy when when. You know, he's not very high maintenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably thinks I am, but uh, again, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of, kind of uh, joking. I, I really can trust him. I know he has um, a lot of the same sort of interests uh, in in the players doing well and how he's invested. And you know, I I, I strongly believe, and I think if you look at the best coaching staffs you do have two people that can be head coaches. Mm. And I think it's good to have somebody that challenges me rather than that it's just some sort of dictatorship where I'm telling somebody what to do. Mm-hmm. And We're only allowed to have two paid coaches. So let's have the best assistant we can possibly have. And I strongly believe Dave's one of the best, if not the best assistant. Mm. I think we're fortunate to still have him after he's been here now for uh, five years already. Right. Um, you know, and the longer, the longer we can keep him around, the, the better it's going to be for everybody involved with the program. And, and I think the, the good thing with Dave is, is he branches out beyond tennis. He, he likes to engage the coaches in other sports and the student athletes. And if there's information that's going to help the program, he'll, he'll find it. Okay. Okay. No, very good. Um, all right, Simon, let's go into our, our rapid fire. What what book should every coach read? This was the hard part. When you sent me this um, this uh, Q&A here, I, I did see these ones at the end. And that first question is, I'm going to really disappoint you here. Dave, I don't read. <laughs> I'm really bad about that. Okay. I, I, I will read an autobiography. Every now and again, because I find that interesting. I actually thought Nick's was really interesting when you looked at all the players he'd been with through the years. Mm-hmm. And I saw that somebody just put one out about Federer. Okay. So maybe a Christmas present for you. Yeah, I'll read those because I think I can associate to them. But I'm horrible. And I always have been. And it goes back to me being in chemistry and math. Mm. Right? I, I just growing up English and English lit were, were the least favorite subjects. <laughs> and if the amount of times my parents tried to get me to read, 
I just, you know, I'm, I'm very good at reading the rankings and results. How about that? <laughs> yeah, you're good at that. You're good at yeah. that. So I, no, my, the book that every coach, I'm just not the right person. All right. Answer. All right. Next question. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Been a lot. It's been a lot. I, I would say that um, there was a situation where I thought I was right and I probably was right. But the way I delivered the information and in the setting I delivered it in, I was reprimanded for it. And then that person, after the fact, coming to me and say, look, you were, you were right in this, but you absolutely can't speak to me in that setting. And understanding that just because I think that I'm right, the business or the public setting for things isn't always ideal and the way that you view it needs you need to take yourself out of that and everything has a time and a place mm. and i think i learned that quite early that i've got to be much more measured mm. in in how i go about things because if i have something that's valuable I better value I better value it and use it appropriately uh, rather than just wasting it because I can't read the room. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know. It's it's tricky to explain it. No, but... no. I think you've articulated well. I get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we know it. we sit in a so a good example of it would be we sit in these meetings when we come to a new institution. I come to NC State. I'm in there with all these head coaches, and you're looking around and. Coach Doran, uh, Coach Gottfried was here at the time. Debbie Yao's there. I'm like, oh my god. Well, yeah. I, I better be sitting there and listening to what they have to say. I don't really have anything to offer. I got to earn my place, uh, and I'd better make sure if I do speak up that I'm bringing or adding something to the room. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's what I didn't really realize. I was almost too enthusiastic in the early going and I, I would do myself a disservice. So, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. being measured and a slow burn is much better or works better for me anyway. I think it works better for most people. All right, Simon, should the NCA uh, singles and doubles championships be in the spring or in the fall? I have a feeling this is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> just just well, interested on your take i think i think a lot of people know where i stand on this i don't understand the individual event being in the spring even though traditionally it's uh been in the spring and uh after the team event division two we didn't have an individual championship i we did have it when i played yeah and i think it was much to the detriment of division two that we lost the individual event when we tried to expand the team bracket we had to make a trade right and we lost it um it makes no sense that our season is individual in the fall and then all of a sudden we have this one individual event at the end there's there's many sort of reasons that people can articulate that it could be one way or another sure but I think for uh, the benefit of our sport, uh, it being a lot clearer how the progress the season progresses. Mm -hmm. And um, look, I I don't see another sport where you're potentially at the event for 17 days. This is not the Olympic Games or the World Cup. 
and uh, that's just not sustainable. And and in we've gotten behind in tennis so far behind. Yeah, I, I I would I think it's it's dangerous to have comparisons to other sports because look, we're not softball, we're not volleyball, mm-hmm. but we 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 really need to look at how we um how how we do everything and um to me that's a bit of a relic and uh, how it's positioned and how can we better position that and if we can put it this way if the nfl are selling football and all the nfl games are played on a sunday how would that maximize revenue with the tv contract now we have a Thursday night game. We have a Monday night game, mm-hmm. right? We create opportunities to increase our outreach. And the way it is right now, we're doing ourselves a disservice because we have two pieces that we've combined into one. Mm. So let's optimize that and be really good at both of them individually instead of what we have right now, which is a great team event and then an afterthought. Mm. They both should be equally uh, strong in their own right. And um, I don't think in a 17-day event you can maintain that these days and age in attention span. And The Grand Slams even struggle, I think, a little bit because – Outside of the main show courts, what are you selling tickets for in week two? Mm. I think if you were going to, as a tennis follower, if I was going to go to one, I'd go in week one. Yeah. Yeah, we all know that, right? <laughs> we, yes. We want to go the first few days of an event because we know our sport and we want to see yeah. all that. But, okay, last question, Simon, because I'm, I'm I'm running out of time here. What, what, if any, change would you make to the college tennis format or rules? Well, we keep making changes. It's been amazing how many changes there's been since I've been at NC State. I mean, I think, you know, one thing uh, which has been great is that we've been more progressive, haven't we, the last five, six, seven, eight years? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing is 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 the time. How do we speed it up? Yeah. Um, do matches take too long? Yeah. Outside of football, can any sport demand three to four hours and I'm not sure so I've thought about this a lot I don't really have a solution we've played great matches that have taken two hours and 15 minutes and great matches that have taken four hours yeah but um I don't I I'm I don't like 10 point tie breaks I know that's an easy one to just get rid of the third sets Mm -hmm. I think that would damage our product I don't like the simultaneous format at all Mm-hmm. I think you marginalize the players and their experience where the, you know, it's doubles or singles then. Um, but if we could somehow speed it up even more, stop faffing around as much between doubles and singles. And um, I'm just glad we don't have action replays or looking for targeting like you have in football right now, where it's gotten beyond ridiculous. Yeah. I wouldn't mind a chance to make a substitution in a match. I think that would be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd love to bring in the big server at 5-4 in the third at, at times, and you could maneuver it around. I, I think we have a really good product. I think the team event, it's 
and the the team format is is fantastic. I think we play when we're supposed to play, mm-hmm. which, as stupid as it sounds, is is fantastic, and I think is a big thing for tennis players. But I think we need we need a bit more clarity. And I mean, if we could have an individual season and a team season, it would be awesome. Um, I think the players would be able to follow it or the people that do follow it be able to understand even my parents still ask me i simon i don't understand what you're doing right now i know yeah like like explain like i don't get it i'm like come on i've been in america for a long time (laughs) like yeah yeah Yeah. so potentially i'd no, I don't even think it's a college tennis format, a rules thing for me. I think we've just got to do better in how we market the sport, mm-hmm. how we explain that to our oversights and get them excited about it. And I think if they're more engaged, there's a lot of talk about going into the community and doing extra things, but you've got a community on campus and you've got people who are paid to work with your program. Mm-hmm. We've got to start with them and get them uh, excited. And obviously, if if we have five or six of those people like me cold calling people and trying to get five or six numbers, it's easy to then grow if those people are out there working for you. So if we can get an army of people and we can somehow market our sport for what it is, which I think we the team... Um, format is is fantastic okay um that would be and and, you know changing the rules i mean if we have to change the rules of the format and it helps with that let's go for it let's not just debate it forever Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't work change it back again who cares (laughs) yeah yeah but simon i've really got to run i'm sorry this is this was awesome thank you so much for doing this and uh excited to get it out to our coaches All right, cheers, Dave.